we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 159 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. It's the 9th of August, 2018, and I am your host, Trevor the Iron Fist. I will introduce my co-host to you in a moment. But before doing so, if this is the first time, dear listener, that you are tuning into our little podcast, it's a weekly Australian podcast which looks at news, politics, culture, ethics, and transformations taking place in our society we might well be cataloguing the demise of civilization, but we try to have fun while doing so. We are particularly obsessed with the role of religion in our society, and one of our major aims is to keep tabs of what they're up to. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, sit back and relax while we review the news of the last seven days. With me is Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day Trevor, g'day Paul. And for the listeners out there, I'm drinking a Peroni tonight. Twelfth mm. <laughs> man. How are you guys? How are your Thanks. listeners? Hopefully they're all good. Mm. So, uh, again, dear listener, if, if this is your first time onto the podcast, it's a little bit unusual, our intro on this one, because last week we had a special guest, Right Wing Tony, and we had a lot of feedback from listeners and a few things to discuss about that episode. So... Normally, at this point, I wouldn't waste your time and we would just launch into news items of the week and start discussing them. But in a little bit self-indulgent this week in that we're probably going to spend 20 to 30 minutes uh, rehashing some old topics and, and what happened. So <laughs> um, you can fast forward 30 minutes or you can go back to the previous episode 158 and listen to that first or you can just do whatever you like. But I'm just giving you a fair warning that that's probably what we're going to do this time. So... Gentlemen, I really love talking to right-wing Tony. He just cracks me up. Like, it sounds like I laugh a lot, but he's got a real deadpan delivery and he has a little twinkle in his eye and he sort of lifts his, you know, he raises his eyebrow and and with a colourful turn of phrase, I just, I'm gone. Absolutely. (laughs) He he is an incredibly nice bloke. Yep. And... You know, you've got to get beyond his uh, neoliberal extremes Mm. and you've got to see the human being behind that. And I found myself quite strangely compelled by his voice and, um, you know, not that I want to drop to the drawers or anything like that, but, um, you know, I, um, I found him to be an incredibly articulate bloke who made me revisit and rethink a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I said to you in one email exchange that I agreed with a lot of what he said. I've been back and listened to everything that he said. And I wouldn't say I agreed with a lot of what he said, but I agreed with a fair amount of what he said. Mm-hmm. You know, so probably... of what he said I agreed with. Hmm. One of them was when he said that um, Margaret Thatcher was right, where she said that, uh, you know, the problem with socialism is you you end up running out of other people's money. And it is very hard to argue with that. (laughs) Well, socialism, there's a spectrum. 
you know, so you know, you could say that about communism, absolutely, yeah, yeah. and you could say about capitalism that eventually the capitalists run out of money, taking money from the poor people. Eventually, mm. eventually they've got it all. So, you know, there's a spectrum there. But um, in any event, uh, I really enjoyed talking to Tony and. We had mixed feedback. So, dear listener, we're just going to um, give you some of the feedback that we had. And um, first up from Bronwyn, one of our patrons, I think, Bronwyn is, and she said, Hi, guys. Sorry, but I had to turn right-wing Tony off after less than 10 minutes. I couldn't stomach any more of his biased and delusional views. Bill Shorten, a socialist? Please. Disappointingly, not your usual more diverse and evidence-based offering. I hope you can do better next week. Ouch, Bronwyn. Uh, Bronwyn, I think you should actually go back into your uh, deleted files and actually listen to the podcast mm-hmm. because you've got to expose yourself to a whole wide range of views. And one of the things that I think is most important is exposing yourself to views that you disagree with. So I would encourage you to go and listen to it. Yeah. What I would say is, sure, the first sort of 20, 25 minutes where we're talking about capitalism and economics and that sort of stuff. Um, we certainly had divergent view, well, different views. Hmm. But there's a whole host of topics after that where we pretty much agreed, but Tony had his own colourful insights into it. So, Bronwyn, persevere. It's a bit like, it's a, he's a little bit of an acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, worth it, I promise you. Definitely worth it. So, dive back in and, and, and uh, see how you think. A couple of other comments I'll, I'll mention. Uh, this is from Greg. Hi, guys. Great to hear right-wing Tony back on the podcast. Keep the guest and guest presenters coming. Not knocking the glove or 12th man, but the variety of guests keeps the podcast interesting. That's true. We do need more voices. We have been guilty of being a bit of an echo chamber. Uh, this one from Brett. He goes, um, JFC, Fist which I think means Jesus effing Christ. Mm, I would have thought so. Mm. I don't know how you do it, exclamation mark. Something that might help, though, if you ask Tony to define socialism, it's not clear what he's rambling about, but I think it's probably something different to what a Bernie Sanders type would promote. Meanwhile, Caitlin said, I love the respectful debate you guys have. Nice to see a range of opinions. Um, But then we've got Watley who said a few things. Uh, He said... RWT is a naive twit, little more than a walking, talking reflection of the things wrong with Australian society, WTF, (laughs) raging at the iPad. (laughs) It's good when we get people raging at the iPad. Like when Cam Riley was slamming his iPhone into the steering wheel of his car listening to us, that's when we've succeeded. We've succeeded, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. This Tony guy has done a Trump. Statistics are less relevant than how he feels. Post-truth bullshit idiocy. Fist, I'm on your side. Who are these commissars of socialism? <laughs> he goes on. And there's some other comments there, some a bit longer. Um, and, yeah, so you can't please everybody all of the time, clearly. No, you can't. But, yeah. but I do think that um, Bronwyn should go back and listen to it. Yeah. You know, I, I, think it would, I think she's doing herself a disservice by not listening to it. Yeah. And we got a, uh, a speak pipe message as well. I'll just play this one um, from Ken, I believe, one of our Kens. Hello all at the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast. I'm still loving your work as always, but I have two quick questions. Is it wrong that I like right-wing Tony? And in relation to the Lawrence Southern incident, didn't Inspector Rick Aegis just reinforce to the local community 
that using the threat of violence is an effective way of silencing conflicting views in Australia? Yes. Mm. We'll talk yeah. about Lauren Sutherland in a moment. Exactly. But thanks, Ken. Yes, and it's not wrong to like right-wing Tony. He is good fun. Yeah. So and an excellent dinner party guest, and I have him over frequently, and he has me over, and we have a good time. <laughs> Fun fact, dear listener, I don't know if I've disclosed this before, but um, I, when I finished university and did my uh, articles as an article clerk, the man who taught me everything for the first couple of years was uh, right-wing Tony. <laughs> so, right? yeah, he was the partner in charge of me at the law firm that he speaks about. Yeah, So there we go, all these years later. We lost touch for a while, but then we... Got back together again a few years ago, so so there you go. So, all right, enough of a rehash on the feedback that we received. One of the um, topics that we talked about was the uh, the student who was on the aeroplane and she, um, she a Swedish student, and she stopped the plane from taking off by refusing to sit down and. <laughs> Um, she was hailed by some as a hero and by others as irresponsible. And it's turned out that the man whose deportation she prevented had received a prison sentence in Sweden for assault. So one assumes it was a fairly decent assault to be worthy of a prison sentence. Mm. So... Um, did you guys have any thoughts about how would you feel if you were on a plane and somebody stood up and took Well, the... I was I didn't understand why they didn't throw her off the plane. Well they did. They did. Yeah. They threw her off the but plane. She didn't want to be on it anyway. She just went on yeah, the I know, plane. I for know that, that but yeah. you know, but didn't didn't did he, did he leave the plane as well or not? Yes, they yeah. both left. So. Well, why didn't they keep him on the plane and continue with the deportation, but then kick her off the plane? Well they didn't want to manhandle her off the plane. She mm. wasn't leaving. So no, they didn't I think to... they should have manhandled her. Okay. <laughs> Are you advocating violence? Absolutely I am. In a situation like that, and right-wing Tony was dead on the money in this when he said that, you know, there are a lot of people that were on that flight who were being held up because of her stupidity. Hmm. And as we found out, and this was reported by Fox News, I believe. Mm. So you know, you can take it take it with a grain of salt if you wish. Mm. But they said that he was uh, he was charged and convicted of assault. Mm. And if you do some time in prison for assault, it must have been a bloody decent assault. Mm. You know. So as far as I'm concerned, I would have had her man headed off the plane in the first thirty seconds. There we go. Twelfth man, you don't seem to be as I, look. I don't have a strong opinion on on it. Especially, but yeah, I think she was um, she was behaving unlawfully in holding up the plane. We know that she was just causing a nuisance and virtue signalling, you know, in a very public way. Yeah, I said my pit last week, but I'll repeat it briefly: is that mm. we've got a well, they have a judicial system that's designed to deal with the laws of Sweden, and she just on her own bat, said, well, I just disagree with those and I'm going to be my own justice system. Mm. So that's not how it works. And that is exactly right. Mm. Right. We also spoke about tax, of course, last week, and I've got a link to an interesting article, which is Global Data on Taxes, the new OECD Tax Revenue Database. And this shows uh, a graph from 1990 through to 2016 as the timeline, and what you're able to do is to plug in different countries that you're interested in and 
um, basically compare the tax rates of various countries. So it's a, the level of tax, a total tax revenues as a percentage of GDP. And these include sub-national revenues and compulsory social security contributions paid to the general government. So it's, a, it's meant to include a whole range of taxes bundled all up together and done as a percentage of GDP. And it's a really, really good argument as to why we are not paying too much tax. Mm. Because once you plug in some OECD countries like Denmark, France, Finland, Netherlands, Norway, Germany, United Kingdom, New Zealand, Israel, Japan, they're all above us on some of the ones I put in. But just beneath us, South Korea and the United States, and then a fair bit beneath Singapore and, and Indonesia. And any country in the world, you can just plug into this um, graph and see how it compares. But it's an excellent demonstration that when it comes to other major OECD countries, we're at the bottom of the list mm. for tax that uh, we it's uh, levied as a percentage of GDP. Yeah, Absolutely. So. Wish I'd had that when I was talking to Tony. But anyway. Right. Um, and he came out and said about investment in Australia, and he was dead right. The United States, I've subsequently seen in a chart, is way ahead of any other country, twice as much as the nearest one being the UK. And then Belgium. Then Belgium invests a lot. I know. Yeah. That really surprised me how much money that Belgium had invested in Australia. They must have some sort of national fund, a bit like Norway. I, I must couldn't have, tell you. Yeah. yeah. So Japan um, goes and the on. other one, fifth, was the Hong Kong, the SAR of China, whatever SAR stands for, standard area or something or other. Yeah. Self-administered. Oh, yes. region. Yeah, region. okay, of China. As opposed to China, it's exactly. really communist China. But they're at number five, whereas mm. mainland China's at number nine, mm. which really surprised me. Mainland know. China's catching up, I think. Mm. Oh, absolutely, they're catching up, but whether or not they will ever get caught up is another story. Actually, no, they're not, according to this chart. So, take that back. They're not catching oh, yeah, up. They are. They're, they're, they're decreasing. They're decreasing. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, in terms of countries that are investing in Australia, there's another chart. So, good to have some facts and figures. One thing I mentioned we were talking about was antitrust laws. So we were talking about Google. media mm. groups and then we were talking about Google and Microsoft. So Google was accused of, of bundling products as part of other products in order to leverage off. So having when you've got a successful product and you force people to buy ancillary products... In a, in a compulsory bundle um, that's frowned upon. So the other, and historically Microsoft was accused of that by insisting on the Internet Explorer browser as part of the Windows operating system. So tying something in when uh, it's not necessary. Sounds fair enough? Yeah, it does to me. It's yeah. a free enterprise system, isn't it? It is, yeah. So um, on that score... This is where this is where the crazy world can take you. McDonald's are being sued under an antitrust sort of law for and forcing you to eat tomato with your burger. No, cheese. Cheese. Oh, cheese. So they used to sell a quarter pounder and a separate item, a quarter pounder with cheese. 
and some very keen plain quarter pounder eaters weren't happy that when McDonald's decided to limit its menu and only serve quarter pounder with cheese. So they brought an antitrust suit against McDonald's, or they're bringing one, saying that McDonald's is is levering cheese into the <laughs> into into its menu it's and forcing them to consume a product that they don't want. Crazy, but there you go. That's that's where these things can end up, given half a chance. Well, you feel for the lactose intolerance out there, don't you? Yeah. Well, if you're an an adult and you're eating McDonald's, I've got no sympathy for you. <laughs> Uh, Longman by-election, we learnt that Catholic schools received a letter from Catholic hierarchy saying that the Labor Party has much better funding agreement for us and we're at risk of closing schools. Bear that in mind when you vote on Saturday. That really gave me the shits yeah. that they did that. Yeah. And I cannot believe you are wanting us to go and join that party when they are <laughs> openly opening their arms to the mix on that. There's no perfect party. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, is, this is what I said. It's a takeover so that you can change it. This is the point. No, it, yeah, so I just Meredith in her rationalist newsletter, you know, poked at something that Labor does that's stupid and said, take note, Trevor Bell. Well, that's the whole point of you get enough people. I'm not saying join up and do everything that they're currently doing. Get in there and branch stack and change. Well, let's hope that we get enough people involved in this because that really, you know, you've you've already had Shorten come out and say after the Batman by-election where he said, you know, we stand shoulder to shoulder with the bishops, you know. Did he say that? He did say that, yeah. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Mm. Shorten will stand shoulder to shoulder with anyone who lends him credibility or lends him votes. Yeah. It's obviously schizophrenic in that party because the unions have come out recently and said that they want laws changed so that the church groups can no longer discriminate against um, people based on their beliefs or their practice. Mm. So that's good. Absolutely it is. Yep. We'll talk a bit more about that later, but it's it just demonstrates that at least there's some hope in there that the unions might save us. <laughs> Tony's right-wing Tony is here. Yeah. Oh, he's probably slamming his iPhone into the steering wheel. <laughs> if, he's, if, he's, if he's listening to that statement that the unions might save us in the Labor Party. So now you were a member of the Liberal Party. I was a member of the Liberal Party. Yes. Yeah. Um, can I ask? Hmm. At any time, did you have a meeting in a kebab shop? No, we never did have a meeting in kebab shops. We used to meet at a local Chinese restaurant. Oh, really? Yes. Seriously? Yes, we did. Is that right? Yeah. That's that's where real business is. You know, it's, Absolutely. That's it's where real business is. Real political yeah. business I mean, like, is done in Chinese restaurants. Uh, I always assume... Tim Quinn, he was the guy that took over... For, he was the guy that they replaced... Um, the Labor Lord Mayor with what was his name? Sorley. Yeah, Sorley, oh. yes. Oh no, yep. they replaced. Excuse me, they replaced him with Tim Quinn, and they did that over a meal in a Chinese restaurant. Right. Yes. And afterwards, there was the whole accusation of him being a Tim Sim. <laughs> Anyways, 
Anyway, dear listener, uh, I've got a link to an article here which says that police believe racial and gender bias may be behind an incident at an alleged brawl at a Liberal Party meeting in a Sydney kebab shop in June. The charges stem from an alleged brawl which erupted during a Liberal Party branch meeting at Najee's Charcoal Chicken and Kebabs in Arncliffe. The fight allegedly erupted over claims some members were trying to stack the branch with outsiders. Heaven forbid. (laughs) I just... Well, there's another reason to, you know, choose the Labor Party in preference to the Liberals. You know, if you're going to be meeting at a kebab shop, surely the Labor Party can do something better than that. (laughs) If that's the best you can do. I don't know that I'd want to join a party that meets in a kebab shop. I think that's You don't like kebabs? No, not really. really? No. Oh, I prefer no, a kebab. It's not, it's not to fine a, cuisine, uh, is it? To a Big Mac with cheese. Oh, well, that's not hard. But, <laughs> yeah, sorry. The kebabs are sort of meal you have when you've got a when you've got a belly full of grog. Yeah. So meetings were at a regular Chinese restaurant. How many people would be there at a branch meeting at a Chinese restaurant? Oh, Thirty of us. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. There you go. I always assumed it was in a in a school hall or something. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, it depends. Like, you know, when I was over, when I lived at Kelvin Grove, back in my student days, we used to go around to someone's house. Right. Um, but, yeah, that was about it. Right. Okay. Just waiting for this computer to come up with my next article. Right, here it is. Yeah, this is the one that we were talking about. I mentioned just briefly that uh, the unions are seeking to end religious bodies' right to discriminate in hiring. So they're going to lobby for churches and other religious organisations to lose their right to fire someone on the basis of sexual or gender identity. And this um, is contained in a motion passed at the ACTU Congress last month. And in the article, they gave a couple of examples. Um, We've got Ashley, who did not want to give her real name because she was not out as bisexual professionally, told Guardian Australia she lost work at a Catholic-based organisation after someone found she had put a post in support of marriage equality on social media. She was employed to give educational presentations unrelated to gender or sexuality to young Catholics. She said, I'd been careful not to speak out about sexuality because I knew it would close doors. Turns out someone found out she was speaking, um, looked her up on Facebook found she'd changed the profile picture to a rainbow and um, complained to the bishop and there we go so it happens it does happen yeah there's no doubt about that mm. um, so that's that one I do think that what we've got to do is just remind the Catholics Royal Commission whenever they do anything like this yeah well let's water under the bridge for them yeah. <laughs> um there's an article in the John Menadue blog. Uh, we're all aware that there's a drought now in Australia that's pretty tough. And Chris Bonner says, I've a great idea to fix the drought. Give farmers drought relief, extend it to better endowed areas with access to water and continue it long after the rain returns. The farmers I know would be horrified if this happened, but when it comes to school funding, the Catholic bishops have no such shame. <laughs> It's a good analogy. It's a very good analogy. It makes perfect sense because what he's saying there is that um, 
<clears throat> the enduring myth about the funding sought by the bishops is that it needed to make up the shortfall created by the Turnbull government's otherwise freebie, feeble attempt to improve equality and reduce the impact of previous special deals. He's hit the nail right on the head. You know, the bishops are complaining because they've had a special deal taken off them. Mm. We Now, it was two weeks ago, I think, we were talking about how people... How decisions are made, and we were talking about the vaccines HPV mm-hmm. and HBV. HPV, yeah. thank you. HPV, yep, human papilloma, papilloma virus. virus, yes, H and HBV, which is the uh, I think it's uh, the vaccine for hepatitis B, isn't it? Yes, Hep yeah. B virus, yep, that's it. So, and I was really referring to American examples, yeah. in that one became political and became difficult to get through and one was not political and was just done by medicos and was consequently easy to get through. You don't remember this 12th man, you're looking at me quizzically. No, no, no. no. I know the HPV was very controversial in parts of the United States. Yes. It was fairly uncontroversial in Australia though, wasn't it? Well, Well, remember our friend Robin from... The Reason Party, mm-hmm. who was on, he sent us a link in response to that uh, discussion we had about Barnaby Joyce. And this is um, very revealing, Scott. So it turns out that um, in Australia, so the drug for HPV is Gardasil, which would prevent HPV. And to be truly effective, Girls must be vaccinated before they become sexually active. Gardasil was, uh, wasn't like the flu vaccine where in an off year the vaccine might not protect uh, us all that well. It's a vaccine where trials show it to be 100% effective in protecting women against being infected with the four strains of HPV. that um, caused nearly 70% of cervical cancers. So really, really good data on that. Even Tony Abbott, the health minister, and John Howard thought it was a good idea. Uh, even though it was going to cost a truckload of money, it would definitely save lives. But not Barnaby Joyce. He insisted MPs should be allowed to debate its social implications and the decision should not be left to the Therapeutic Goods Administration because they will talk about the therapeutic... i quote, they will talk about the therapeutic aspects they are not there to talk about the psychological implications or the social implications. Joyce said there might be an overwhelming backlash from people saying, don't you dare put something out there that gives my 12-year-old daughter a licence to be promiscuous. For God's sake. I wasn't aware of that at the time, were you? I wasn't, no. Isn't that terrible? It is. It just goes to show the man's a complete idiot. And and people used to say that he was, you know, some new shining light in the National Party. Some great retail politician. Yeah. Wow. Well, the guy's just a fool. Yeah. Terrible. That's just terrible. No, I mean, it's... Arguing for the removal of a vaccine. Yeah. It would suggest that 12-year-olds could become... Sexually active. It makes Mm. absolutely no sense whatsoever. Uh, Well, you'd say the same about the rubella vaccine, wouldn't you? Exactly. 
it's only a problem if you're going to have children. Yeah. Uh, so that's why all girls get it. Yeah, that's terrible. Right. We're going to talk a little bit about some free speech issues in relation, again, to a few different topics. We're going to revisit the woman who was sacked by the cricket board in Tasmania Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about Alex Jones and Infowars and I think there was one other topic in there. But I thought before talking about those issues, let's set some rules or some... A bit of 101 on free speech and see if these rules can then be applied to the scenarios as they come up. So here we go. Uh, Let me just find my notes here. So I've got three of them that should cover everything when you're listening to these sorts of discussions, dear listener. Number one, you have, with some limits, the right to say what you want without government intervention, suppression or prosecution. Yep. Okay. Number two, that is different to intervention or suppression by an employer. Arguably, I'm saying, an employer can, with some limits, interfere with free speech rights if the free speech destroys the ability of the employee to do their job. And I gave examples last week. But I'm saying that you've got to make a distinction between um, intervention and suppression by government and intervention suppression by an employer. And the third thing is you don't have the right to expect private businesses to give you a platform to say what you want. Okay. So I can't ring up the Courier-Mail and say, you must print my article about such and such and just say, get lost. Yeah. don't have to. We pick and choose what we're going to do. So, so there's my three and let's see how they play out with what we've got going on. So um, <coughs> the Tasmanian um, Government Relations Officer for the Tasmanian Cricket Board who was sacked by them for making comments quite derogatory about the gutless state government um, Ken and Malik had an article about it, 12th Man. Did you see that? Oh, I didn't see it, I'm sorry. Mm. And I, he, he never mentioned in the article what her job actually was, government relations, and he pretty much said, well, you just can't do that. And his last sentence was, employers should not have the right to dictate what views are acceptable outside the workplace. And... That's just too broad, Canon. There has to be times. Like, if I applied for a job at Catholic Education Office, they could quite, as a PR man, they could quite rightly say, Trevor, Trevor, no, you're not not suitable for this job because we've heard the Iron Fist Velvet Glove. That's right. Based on your social media activity, (laughs) no. But what did she say that was in conflict with her role? Okay. So she she was a government relations officer and she basically bagged the government, saying that they were gutless and they weren't doing things in relation to abortion clinics that she thought they should. Now, ultimately, I don't think her comments were enough to warrant being sacked. But the point is you could reach a point where you could be if you'd been bad enough in what you'd been saying. I mean, let's say you're an NGO that for Black Lives Matter or, you know, Aboriginal reconciliation... And in your private tweets, 
you're clearly a white supremacist Nazi sympathiser. Like, you oh. just don't get the job. And if you'd started that stuff after having the job, they can quite rightly sack you. Exactly, yeah. So at some point, your, your private social media commentary can get you into strife with a job at some point. It's yeah, quite extreme, but, but you can't just say never. I thought you had a very good point, though, last week where you said that... Um, you said that uh, government and criticism of government should be isolated from that, that you've got to be able to throw rocks at government. It's a much, much higher bar when you, we've got to allow people exactly. A much, so, for example, I reckon if she'd said, if, if she was PR sponsorship relations and she'd said the same stuff about one of their sponsors, let's say it was Qantas, then I reckon that was enough to sack her. Yeah. But I agree, when it comes to the government, we've got to protect people's rights to criticise the government, so it's a much higher bar. However, even then, at some point, you could, in theory, reach a point, I reckon, where you have just go too far. I mean, if you want to be a severe and harsh critic of government, don't take a job that requires you to suck up to the government on behalf of another organisation. Like, just don't do that job. But were her criticisms directly related or relevant to her specific role? No, but if you... Well, yes, in that if she's responsible for government relations, having a good relationship between the cricket board and the government, hoping to get, you know, funding and support and all the things that a, a, a state cricket team would want from government, you need relationships where you can ring up and say, hey, this is happening, can we have this or whatever? She needed to go into bat for the government. Oh, boom, boom. (laughs) (laughs) Twelfth man, boom, boom, yeah. Anyway, I reckon there's a point where you can cross the line and Ken and Malik wasn't prepared to see any point, so there we go. I didn't think that she crossed the line, though. I didn't think she did either. either. Not on this one, but it's possible is my point. Anyway, Mm. if Ken and Malik comes to Brisbane in April and if we're... If I'm lucky enough to interview him, um, that'll be one of the first items on the agenda. That will be a scoop. Mm. Mm. There we go. So next on, um, um, you guys have heard of Alex Jones and Infowars. Yeah, and the squeaky wheel said something on Facebook the other day that I found myself agreeing with, but I'm not still not 100% sure about it. She said that... Uh, um, can I give people a little bit of flavour of, of yeah. him and so that we know what we're talking about? Is he a real about? person? Yes. He's a real person, yeah. yeah. He's an idiot, but he's a real person. A yeah. real idiot. Yeah, he's a real yeah. idiot. Yeah. So this will give you an idea of, of uh, what he's like. Everyone's having their water poisoned. Everyone's having deadly vaccines pushed on them. Everyone is having weaponized television aimed at them. Pizzagate is real. Sandy Hook is a synthetic, completely fake. Vegas is as phony as a $3 bill or as Obama's birth certificate. And that's not the worst of it. He comes out with some really nasty stuff where he threatens to break people's jaws all the time and punch people in the nose and how he's going to shift their noses to the other side of their face and it's nasty stuff. And, I mean, the Sandy Hook massacre, he says, is just a conspiracy never happened like men landing on the moon sort of stuff. And the the Vegas shooting never happened as well. Mm. This sort of stuff is... So conspiracy theorist um, 
but also some nasty um, hate speech as well, really declaring violence by him against other people and, and by implication suggesting it's, it's all right of, for anybody sort else. Sort of like um, Donald Trump's slightly brighter brother, is he? Yeah, well, Donald, <laughs> the, the Donald loves him. So that's the sort of character we're dealing with. And Twitter and YouTube and different um, podcast hosting services and others have basically um, switched him off from their systems so he can't host his programs on there anymore. So some people are saying that's a breach of freedom of speech and what do you think, gentlemen? I think it is a breach of freedom of speech in a sense. Um, but justifiable or not? Uh, Look, I don't know. I think I, people like him need to be challenged and challenged with facts. Can I remind you of rule number three? Yeah, please do. You do not have the right to expect private businesses to give you a platform to say what you want. Mm. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I also I also heard on a podcast I was listening to the other day, I can't remember which one it was, but they were saying that he can still put stuff out on the internet. He's just got to get people to go to his website so they can see his garbage. Correct. They can still get the feed and still get it. Exactly. Yeah, so he's it. not been silenced. He has been disendorsed in a sense. Well, he's been, he's been he's been kicked off. He's been kicked off YouTube and places it's like that. And different, different publishing platforms. He's been kicked mm. off. Yeah, which I don't have a major issue with. I mean, the Squeaky Wheel said that um, don't they realise that they're just going to be feeding his whole paranoia and that sort of thing because they're going to be able to turn around and then say, look, I told you they're trying to silence me. Okay, that's a fair enough point. But I do agree that uh, in rule number three that you don't, you can't expect a, a private business to provide you with a platform. Are you on board with that libertarian? Yeah, yeah. Well, do, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you don't. Like, I, I, just, I just prodded you with that. You did, just, yes. I take it back. Um yeah, look, I, I take your point. Um, they're not obliged to carry his um, his his business. Yep. They are private businesses. There we go. The three rules hold up under examination, under real-life circumstances, anyway. We've got some testimonials. Um, this one is from... Um, from Matt, who says, Glad I found it. Finally, so glad to find other like-minded people in Australia. You'll be pleased to know I joined the Labor Party just before discovering your podcast, and yes, I am as secular as they come. <laughs> there you go. Matt's working on it. Matt, tell us, Matt, how it goes at a meeting. I'd be keen to know. You tried to get us to a meeting, 12th Man. What happened? I, look, I, I looked it up. You know, I, I looked up, I did a search for Labor Party branches. Mm. I think you've actually got to join first. Well, that's what I discovered. <laughs> yeah. And I got a message saying, please join, you know, and then we will direct you to the branch closest to where you reside. Really? That's Sh what I got. Surely if we rang the local member and said, we're thinking about it, can we just go to a meeting and see what it's they like? Might. They might. Do you want to try that strategy? Is it up to me? Have I got to do that one? You're the hard, you're the hard working one in the, uh, in the trio. Here. Okay, I'll ring. I'll ring Kate Jones, 
local state member. Because you and I and live in different electorates, yeah, don't forget. Yeah. So I'll it occurred to me that f- if I had called yeah. my local member... Yeah, well, then I'll call and I'll say, by the way, I've got two friends and they're not in this electorate but they're interested in just seeing what happens. Mm. And I need a support person as well. Tentatively, <laughs> yeah. tentatively <laughs> curious about membership in the party. Yes, that's it. So, And we also got one from Jess who... This, this one on iTunes. An enjoyable and engaging listen. I've been listening to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast for a while now and have found it really engaging. The discourse is most often intelligent and insightful. I often feel I've learned something when I've finished listening. However, I think sometimes the hosts can be limited in their perspective and can limit the depth of the discussion, but overall a great podcast you should all listen to. There we go. Well, we... we, we Added some depth with right-wing Tony and some people weren't happy, Jess. <laughs> and look, we always aspire to depth. We don't we always do. yeah. uh, reach it. Yeah. So there we go. Um, okay. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard this at all, but according to Donald Trump, did you know that he reckons you need ID to buy groceries in yeah. America? Have a listen to this. He did, yeah. yeah I've got this did list. he say that? Well, he did, yeah. Have a listen to this. Which is why the time has come for voter ID. You know, if you go out and you want to buy groceries, you need a picture on a card. You need ID. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I've ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> I like the last one. <laughs> Who is that guy? Uh, oh, it was just a clip that was mixed in with it from uh, some movie of some sort. Okay. He actually, uh, his, first, his point that you voter ID of a photograph is legitimate, you know, but he then ruins it by saying clearly he hasn't bought groceries in a long time. No, he hasn't because he's, he, you know, I've heard this on a, another podcast I was listening to. Um, can't think what it's called. And they were um, saying that, you know, he's rich and all that sort of stuff, so why the hell would he do it in grocery shopping? No, he, would, he wouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah. It's just um, that shows you how out of touch people can be. That they don't even Look, do that. you know, there's nothing inherently uh, sinister about voter ID, is there? That's right. It's not a bad idea. Clive Palmer said something like that, Well, I we get it now here in Australia. Didn't we well, get you it get, mailed you get, out to You us. get them mailed out to you. You don't need it. You don't need it, no. no. And that's... I don't understand why we don't have to show ID when we go and vote, but we don't. I don't understand why. Yeah, it seems like we haven't had enough of a problem to warrant it. Mm. Exactly, and that is that. That is the whole point. You know, the, yeah. the whole. You know, I think the the total number of that was potentially a double up votes last time was twelve thousand or something like that. That many? Yeah, yeah. that's across the whole country, though. Twelve thousand. Yeah. Well, that's a significant number, isn't it? Well, not considering when you got a hundred thousand members in every electorate, but some some elections are won or lost on a few dozen votes. Hmm. Yeah, but that's in an electorate. In yeah. one electorate, yeah. yeah. I, I guess if it was an electorate where it was a half a dozen votes, and that electorate had twelve double ups, then you'd have a problem. Then, yeah. then the yeah. uh, electoral commission well, I think would certainly say we should be trying to put things in place so that it doesn't happen, if possible, mm. or to minimise it. 
but then maybe not. Well, I was going to say not. Maybe people won't vote, but they yeah. have to. It's compulsory. So, but in the United but people States, people rock up without an ID, and yeah. then it'll be that'll be a mess. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But in the United States, it would appear that this voter ID idea um, was seen as a, as a way of um, marginalising people who didn't vote the right way, wasn't it? Well, well it and, was and, the and, whole. The whole thing I've ever read against it is that they're saying they're saying it would it would support the Tories more than it would the other side. I don't understand that because you know you've got to have it. You've got African to have Americans, but they they most of them are drivers, so they've got to have a driver's license, don't they? Uh, yeah, I, well, you'd assume are you assume so. You talking the UK or are you talking England? What's no, you're talking about the US? The US, yeah. You know, so they, they because they've got a driver's license, they've got to have they've got to have voter ID yeah. there. But wasn't it a case of in, in some Not parts of the United drivers. States, they, they were trying to minimise the African-American vote and they assumed that most of them would vote Democrat? Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's right. Most of them do vote yeah. Democrat. And this is why they're saying that, that, that's why they're saying that, that would marginalise them, therefore you would suppress the Democratic vote. Yeah. I think it was more than just photo ID as well, like you had to show that you were... <coughs> Living in the district, so you needed a rates notice or some mm. other proof. Or yeah, well, see, that so, is nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're going that far, that's that's, yeah. that's yeah. ridiculous. The, bur- yeah. the burden of proof was yeah. deliberately made more onerous than was really necessary. Yeah, and the strange yes. thing over there is each state can make up its own laws about how exactly. they, how the, elections that sort they, of thing is conducted. They don't have a very uh, legally consistent system at all, do they? Because they have the uh, electoral college. And each state has its own specific rules about the way the electoral college is expected to respond to the popular vote. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, and they're not even legally required to give their give the nod to the candidate who gets the most votes. Yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah, even some Americans are now calling for a either an overhaul or a chucking out of the electoral college system. Mm. Dear listener, I've got a confession to make. I've, I've actually subscribed to the digital version of The Australian. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But And you're the same man but, that probably just flips through The Guardian when it comes up with their appeal for money and you just probably just ignore that and move on. <laughs> I actually subscribe to a number of things and you're right about The Guardian. But I'm thinking I'll have to subscribe to that as well. <laughs> Just to, <laughs> to try fit. and do the right thing. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Just to be fair. So, there's so you're giving money to Rupert Murdoch. I am. Yeah. Ooh, that must really burn. It hurts. <laughs> it, it, it hurts. But, dear listener, you know, I'm doing it so that you don't have to. Oh. So, there you go. And Actually, I've got to admit, I did like the emails that you sent through this week. They yeah. were very convenient how they were just attached there. Yeah, because paywall, and I figured, well, yeah. you're not going to be able to access them if I just send you the link. You're absolutely so, right. Um, so hence, yes, printed off to PDF and sent to you guys. All part of the, all part of the service. <laughs> service. You're welcome. <laughs> anyway, dear listener. He's going to ask us to contribute now. Sorry, know, so well, we can tell him to get no, stuffed. No, I'm going I'm to thank the patrons <laughs> later on. Sorry. So, um, but dear listener, you know, I think in recent times we've been bagging the the right a lot 
and haven't been bagging the left so much. Let's and get into it. Exactly. So, uh, you know, over the next you know, little while, there's going to be some left bagging here because it's all stuff coming from the Australian. So, I must gonna, tell my gonna, friend Cameron that he should tune in again. So. Yeah, right, okay. So, um, so, yeah, so courtesy of the Australian, we'll have some bashing of the left wing coming up over the next uh, little bit. And we'll start off with, you've just got to love the editorial of the Australian... <laughs> Just for starters. Yeah. And then I'm going to go on to a different article which just shows how differently The Guardian and The Australian treat the same story. It's amazing. So anyway, just, you know, if you're not familiar with The Australian, dear listener, here's their editorial, which is, Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton is on the money. Is that where you get it from, Scott, your expression? <laughs> On the money. Uh, he's a closet Australian yeah. reader. I used to read the Australian, yeah. but that was a long yeah, time ago. It's one of your expressions. I know, he's one of my, yeah. one of my, my expressions. But. So Peter Dutton is on the money. Companies flirt with political correctness at their peril and ours too. They are participating in social and political debates that have nothing to do with their stated purpose, Mr Dutton said on Saturday. He's talking about company boards straying into the stranger reaches of gender diversity... Um, for swearing fossil fuels for fear of social media punishment and parroting the social licence slogan. I think the editor's right in that regard, in that it's not really up to companies to be talking about these things because they're there to make money for their shareholders, full stop. And how can they be sure that all of their shareholders think the same way on these issues unless they've polled them? You know, for example, Qantas and... The gay marriage debate. Really? Did Qantas have the consent of all stakeholders in Qantas to no, be They to didn't. Be saying but, you know, um, I thought that was pushed by what's his name, the uh, CEO, yeah, mm. Alan Joyce. Yeah. Because, you know, that was apparently he stuck his hand in his pocket and handed over a hell of a lot of money to the Yes campaign. Yeah. But I didn't think that they actually got money out of Qantas, though, did they? Don't know. Don't know. But anyway, further on in the editorial, he said, he ruins all that by saying, there are good reasons why sensible companies steer clear of this territory. And it's heartening to see figures as prominent as AMP chairman David Murray taking a stand against the new ASX push. A publication, a public company has serious duties from which it should not be distracted to serve the interests of shareholders, obey the laws of the land and cultivate its customers. Businesses... Uh, business also has a clear interest in the shape of workplace laws and the direction of economic reform. These go to the heart of the mission of companies as the best vehicle for capitalism. Yet, as Mr Dutton observed, no company is out there at the moment flying the flag on business tax cuts. Very few companies are talking about the need for industrial relations reform. Any chance of social responsible directors reviving these important public debates? Question marks. So... He says they've got no business talking about those social justice things. They should be seeking tax breaks and industrial relations reform. Well, that's up to the rest of the community, not people who live, not up to companies. We need your tax. So, because we actually breathe the air and commute in the streets, companies don't. So, that's none of your business. That's exactly right. I mean, like, you know, you, you couldn't with the whole. What the hell's the decision? The um, 
Citizens United decision in the US where companies are individuals, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And if you let companies express an opinion on anything, then you could end up be opening the door up for them to be treated as individuals, which is wrong. Mm. So uh, hence why they should just stay out of commenting on social affairs. Absolutely, they should. just sell your widgets and shut up. (laughs) They should. should. I mean, like... Mm. you know, if the chairman of the board wants to say something in his capacity as an individual, that's fine. But they shouldn't, be, they shouldn't be representing it as if it's the company. Yeah. Dear listener, at this point, I'd like to thank our patrons starting at the top and working our way down. From the very beginning, the, the guy who started it all off. <laughs> Sean, mate, we haven't spoken to you for a while. Hope you're well. And, uh, and thanks for your continued support. So, Sean, Alex, Janelle, Craig, John... Um, Jar Stingers, Grant, Wayno, Ayame, Brett, The Beneficiary, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Craig, Jimmy, Watley, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Bronwyn, Matt J, Robbie, Dean, Rod, Pele, Maddock Man, The Two Kens and Greg. Thank you all very much for your support. It's, it's allowed me to... To subscribe to The Australian. Do I, do I really want to be... Th- I do it so that you don't have to. There we go. Thanks for that. Thank you very much, everyone. We really appreciate it. Mm. Now, next week, dear listener, I'm away in Sydney um, and worried that we're not going to be able to hook up for a podcast. So what we're doing is we're in the studio here. We're rolling on for a second hour, which will be the episode for next week. Um which will be 160. So if you just tune in next week, it's just going to continue on from where we are here without too much ado. So for the moment, for episode 159, thank you, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you 
get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.